Welcome to episode 16 of The Baby Monitor. Before we get started, there are two orders of business to take care of. The first is a recap for those who chose to skip episode 15. The episode begins with Richard discovering someone living in their attic. Without telling Lissa why, he frightens her out of the home. Richard then confronts the man in the attic. Now, I've heard different things. Some listeners put together the entire mystery at this point, while others are still confused, so I'm going to keep this a little vague. I'll just say that during the course of their conversation, it's revealed that Richard and the man have a history that dates back to a hit-and-run accident Richard caused that happened about the same time Asher was born. At this point, Richard and the man fight, and Richard ends up beating the man to death. The second order of business is to let everybody know that the novella form of the baby monitor is on Amazon now. If you follow this podcast, there's no earthly reason you have to buy the novella. They are exactly the same story. However, I'm going to ask you please consider dropping just 99 cents to support the baby monitor. Okay, business is over. Welcome to the baby monitor, a podcast of family horrors. Act 3, Episode 16 Richard pushes the crib out of the nursery, lifts the dresser with his own two hands, carries everything to the hallway. Then he takes a box cutter to the carpet, rolls it up, notices the way the blood has seeped into the mat, past it, forever staining the wood framing of his home. He climbs into the attic, takes back the shirt and the plates, takes everything and loads it into a trash bag and he folds in the crib sheets and pillows. He holds Churchill and says he's sorry. And then, before he can remember what it felt like to be a baby boy, before he can miss that feeling, he shoves the blood-splattered stuffed animal into the bag too. Richard stands in his son's room and strips. He takes his boots and his jeans and stuffs them in, covering Churchill's face forever. He ties the bag shut and leaves it on the floor while he walks naked through his home and into his shower. He turns the faucet on and palms pools of water, dips his open eyes into them, trying to wash away the fiberglass particles that have dug in beneath his eyelids. He stands and lets the water run until the last drop of blood has swirled down the drain. He dresses quickly and then he drags and hauls things downstairs, out to the garage, into the trunk of the Volkswagen. He stops by a mall and heaves the trash bag into the dumpster. He stops by a school and unloads the carpet. Then he points his car west and drives. The roads of the suburbs are carefully planned to funnel traffic away from the good people who live there. The streets of the surrounding areas are straight and long, lined by Mexican restaurants and flower stores. And then, past all that, things twist and the trees grow dense, and soon Richard is heading up, up curving mountain roads deep into the forest where those same good people summer. He drives almost two hours to a canyon where once he and Lissa hiked during happier times. Most of the drops are not as steep and long and dramatic as he remembers them, and the night's getting shorter, and so he drives faster. Soon the sky grays, and while there are no campers this close to winter, 
Richard feels the roads begin to vibrate. Finally, he swerves into a turnoff and takes the body, the body of this man he has never met, and drags it to the side of the canyon and just heaves, heaves with all his strength, and even with all that, it barely clears the edge. Richard watches as the body breaks through some brush and then free falls into darkness. Richard listens for what he does not know. A splash, a scream, but there's nothing. Just avoid eating the things the world wants to hide. He turns his face skyward and waits until he feels the morning sun, and instantly his pale, cubicle-dwelling flesh begins to burn. Somewhere between the canyon and the foothills, there is a mountain lake. In the springtime, there are the faintest ripples caused by snowmelt come trickling down from the divide. But in autumn, the lake's surface holds black and smooth as if it wants to be frozen and is simply waiting for the season to do its job. It reflects whatever might be above it. Gray clouds or blue skies, yellow sun or blackbirds. Richard hikes 10 minutes from a trailhead to the lake keeping the hammer folded inside his jacket. At the water's edge, he takes careful glances right and left and back behind him, but it is dawn now, and he is alone, and so he throws, as hard as he can, feels the joy and the release as the hammer leaves his hand and tumbles in a long arc away from him, far out into the water. It takes Richard 30 minutes to reach the Volkswagen. He stumbles on rocks, he loses his breath unexpectedly and must stop, and lean on pines to keep himself from falling. At last, he arrives at the car and collapses against the hood and his right hand reaches for the fender and he feels the dent there, the so slight scraping away of paint. He runs his fingertips across it and closes his eyes. Sometime later, he pulls himself inside and drives and the guilt rides along with him, like a rock, like God. Without it, Richard feels he would veer off the road, plummet into the abyss, find a place to rest alongside the body of a man he never met. Thanks for listening to The Baby Monitor, a podcast of family horrors. We have just one episode left, and I hope you'll tune in for episode 17.